The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, built by Kingsters for Kingsters, Poly, Queer, Transfolk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. Featuring personalities as their authentic selves, this is What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. It's an intimate conversation with people inside the kink and fetish worlds, as well as educators, sex-positive personalities, and other amazing people sharing their stories of what makes them who they are. And now, here is our own wonderful human with the questions, John or as he is known around the kink and fetish community. Hi there, Catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to February on the show, a month where we'll be bringing you more great shows, including a history-making woman who brought BDSM out of the shadows in the 1980s, a statuesque mistress who towers over all she surveys. But as we kick off the month, we'll do it with a very popular educator who uses YouTube as her classroom with classes on kinks, sexuality, and topics many don't consider to nearly a quarter of a million subscribers. Evie Lupine is an asexual kink educator and YouTuber that first began her journey into the lifestyle about seven years ago. In that time, she's been a 24-7 collared submissive, a pet player, a bondage freak, and an occasional sadist. Her passion for learning as well as her diverse interests within kink naturally led her in the direction of helping others with their own discovery processes. She focuses on supporting folks developing happier, healthier relationships while separating the fantasy from the reality of doing BDSM every day. Evie Lupine on what women and other wonderful humans want. Are the questions that establish the story. Five questions about firsts, bringing back the genesis of the character behind the human. It's the first five, and it starts now. First YouTube video you ever watched? Oh, I think it was the Gummy Bear video. I had a friend in fifth grade who showed me on her, like, family computer downstairs like you got to see this thing and then we watched like every version of like the Gumi bear videos that was probably in fourth grade i think maybe fifth grade first time you ever taught a subject what was it and how did you feel about teaching it oh gosh i think the first thing i ever like properly taught about was when i was in college and i had to teach i had like basically give like an educational presentation about 
like the medieval economy or something. And I was very nervous about it. I basically just ran right through my entire presentation. I ended up getting really good marks on it, but I was very nervous. First time you realized that asexual was the best label for you? Well, I first learned about asexuality when I was in high school, but I didn't kind of adopt it as a label until I was maybe 2021 20, after a long process of college experimentation that did not go as planned. First time you engaged in a BDSM scene, were you the top or the bottom and how are your emotions going through it? I was a bottom and I I felt, again, very nervous because at this point I had not researched anything. It was just a boyfriend that was like, hey, let's do this thing. And I said, that sounds fun. And then I went along with it, but I didn't really know what to expect. And that's also some of those experiences are what sparked me to want to make the content that I do now, because I wish I would have known I could have like Googled information before just agreeing to do something. And yeah, it was definitely something that sparked my curiosity at the same time, not just pure nerves. The first time you had a collar put on your neck formally. Oh, how'd formally. you feel? Okay, I have two stories for this, and it depends on what you count as formal. So, I'd like to hear both, actually. Sure. So the first one was in, I was in high school. I think it was 15. It was like my first serious boyfriend. And this is the one we started to kind of do BDSM stuff, but we didn't really know what it was yet either. And we exchanged collars with each other. And we both wore dog collars. We did not know this. We had no idea about BDSM. Had no, we just natively came up with this idea on our own. And... I just I felt so cool I felt like yeah look at me look at this cool thing I'm doing I just felt like uh, growing up especially in kind of a more conservative home environment like I felt like edgy and cool and like wanted also at the same time like it felt like wow look how close we are look at this cool like thing we're doing together how committed we are and the actual BDSM collar wearing I think the first time that I had a collar formally put on me like in an intentional way not just like you're putting on a collar because you're gonna use it in a scene for like a bondage reason I was at a partner's house one of the first times we were over at each other's houses or I was at his house rather and I remember he was sitting down and he was on like a big chair and he had me like kneel in front of him and I I just like walked up to him and I like I put my head on his lap kind of like sort of like leaning onto one of his legs and then I, I looked up at him and then he put like one of his collars on me that was sort of like it was like a big chunky thick like not qu quite posture collar territory but probably like you know two two and a half inches wide it was like a big chunky boy and I remember that feeling so like calm and connective and like it just felt really right like it felt like I was finally doing something that I really wanted to do and I liked how intentional it was because I hadn't really had that experience yet and that was definitely a very important thing on my journey very rarely do I add a sixth question to the first Ooh. five but I want to ask a follow-up to that yeah what did it feel like when he took the collar off Mm. I think we had had a very intense 
and like full weekend time together. So I, I don't remember exactly how I felt when he took it off, but I think that also felt sort of like a little bit like, oh, it's over, but also sort of like I'm done and I'm glad I get to kind of fully breathe again at the same time. But I knew it was something that I wanted to do again amazing stories as we've just gotten started on what women and other wonderful humans want presented by dating kinky more with evie lupine when we return we do this show without paid advertisers and provide it to you as a labor of love if you want to help the show as well as contribute to catsuits conference fund to get live interviews and teach some amazing classes you can give at bit.ly slash thanks, Catsuit. Now let's hear from some of Catsuit's friends with some messages for you. Are you curious about kink but don't know where to begin? <laughs> or maybe you have a friend who, while they appreciate your interest in BDSM, they don't really understand what it's all about. You should check out Kink for the Curious. It's a fun little activity book with color pages and word finds, lots of silly puns, <laughs> uh, but lots of solid BDSM and kink information written by somebody who's been in the business for almost 30 years. Kink for the Curious, a BDSM activity book for beginners written by Princessa Natasha Strange, that's me, <laughs> is available on Amazon. Go get it now. Welcome to the Yoniverse. I'm Scarlett. And I'm Anya. The Flaming Yoni podcast is a celebration of the beautiful and unique expressions of female sexuality. From asexual to megasexual, from lifelong monogamy to relationship anarchy, from deep spiritual bonds of sacred union to spur of the moment flames. It is all infused with Yoni energy. Search for the Flaming Yoni on your favorite podcast platform. You will not leave the same as when you came. Hi, this is Venus, and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others? Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. The Heart of the Dominatrix. Portraits and Interviews of Exceptional Mistresses. This book is about female domination. This book is about dark corners, both physically and psychologically. This book is for you, whether you're a beginner or have decades of experience with BDSM. If you're eager to learn more about power exchange dynamics or are simply interested in relationships, and the aesthetics of this world. This book will change your perspectives. Be warned. Visit heartofthedominatrix.com to order your copy today. We invite you to connect with us on social media so you can follow all the great news about the show. You can find us on Twitter at 
whatwomenwantp1, on Instagram at whatwomenwantpodcast, and on FetLife at www.podcast. And if you want to follow the host, that's easy as on Twitter, Instagram, and FetLife, he is Hi There Catsuit. And now back to what women and other wonderful humans want, presented by Dating Kinky. Thank you, Nookie, and welcome back to the program. Joined by YouTube educator extraordinaire Evie Lupine. When did you decide that YouTube was going to be your classroom? Oh, it was going to be my classroom. So it's funny, when I first started doing YouTube videos, it was a very informal thing at the time. I got started doing BDSM like through Instagram. Like, I okay, I should back up. I didn't start doing it through Instagram. I like had a social group through Instagram because like at that time that was a main social hub for younger folks outside of FetLife for pet play, DLG, that kind of realm of stuff. And I was also, I was still in college. I was college age. I wanted to be around other 20 somethings that were in the same stage of life. And I started doing YouTube videos for sort of two reasons. One is because I wanted to educate people on things that I was getting a lot of like common questions about, because just when, even if you're just personally posting things that are your own life and you're not trying to educate and you're just like hey here's me and my collar here's me wearing ears you'll get people who are like oh what's this about like how do you know when you're a pet what kind of pets are there and eventually you get tired of answering 20 instagram comments that are the same question and you just go okay how can i make this easier And at the time stories and things were not on instagram like this was very og instagram you could only do posts there were no reels and so i went on youtube which other people were doing and i started to answer answer questions through that and then more answers led to more questions and then I was also getting more involved locally with the scene and going to classes and going to dungeons and I found that there weren't a lot of other people in my age group that either had access to or were going to events and learning outside of the internet I felt like that was like really interesting but also important to share because I could see where people were running into issues and had issues that they didn't have answers for because it wasn't something that was really widely discussed online but it was something that I was learning about in person right especially in regards to like safety information and you know impact play and things that seemed kind of maybe spooky and scary to people when they didn't really know anything about them and they didn't have a lot of information that was easily accessible online I also did like review videos and things for like you know gear and ears and that because that was like really popular it was the main thing that people were interested in it was like a very consumerist time on YouTube and online, <laughs> I feel like. And I think that's really changed in the last couple of years, which I've been really glad about because it seems like maybe 2015, 2016 or so, people were very concerned about buying the right stuff and and looking the part and making sure, you know, oh, well, if I want to try pony play, maybe I got to buy this, you know, hoof thing and I got to get this harness and I got to get this mane and I got to, you know, like all this, like, it feels like you got to spend a thousand bucks before you're allowed to even start doing BDSM. <laughs> I don't think that's true. And I'm really glad that we've moved away from just the pure consumerism of it and finding more what works for you, even if that means wearing no gear at all. When you first started doing your YouTube videos, when did you get the first indication that you were really making a difference? There was one person 
who would message me on Instagram because this was back in the day when I still checked DMs. Please don't DM me on social media. I probably won't see it. And I don't want anyone to feel hurt. I don't see their message. But there was somebody who was very, they were, they were like my first like fan, I would say. And they were very inspired by and really enjoyed my content. And there was actually a time period where because I was starting doing this when I was still going to university, I stopped doing videos for a period of time because finals and senior year and just not like having the capacity to be like, I got to wait for the two hours once a week when my roommate's not here to be able to film these videos became a real struggle. And I was also working really weird hours and it's a whole story. But I got out of making YouTube videos after my first, I want to say like maybe four or five videos for a couple of months. And I didn't really think I would go back except for this one person who messaged me on Instagram and was like, I really miss seeing your videos. You do such a great job. And they were really, really encouraging me to go back into it. And they wanted to hear more from me. And probably if it wasn't for this person, I would not have a career doing YouTube videos. So I don't know where they are in the world at this point, but I hope you're doing well. If you're listening to this, thank you. Uh, And it was really after I was encouraged by them and I started to make YouTube videos again, that it started to feel more like my classroom. It started to feel more like something that had potential to be more of a fixture in my life outside of just like whenever I feel like it, when I have time and I have something I want to talk about. What was the point where it turned from hobby to absolute commitment? Because you definitely have commitment to this. Mm. Well, I don't tend to like half-ass things, I think (laughs) is part of my personality. I don't like when I get really into something, I get really into it and it doesn't matter what it is. Like it could be gardening, it could be baking, it could be like, it could be anything. And I get really into it and I, I fully get into it when I do it. And I think even since I've started making videos consistently in the last like six years, I think I've had like maybe one or two weeks, like when I was moving and didn't have internet because of like some weird issue with my internet provider. And like when I had COVID that I didn't post videos for like more than seven or eight days. And so I've always been really committed, but where should it turn into a career for me and not just a hobby was I was graduated I had been working a full-time office job it was yeah I was making pretty good money it was like I think I made like 20 to 21 dollars an hour uh so pretty good but like you know sort of like not not a lot to live on when you live in a big city and there was somebody I knew that I had met up with a couple times and they were also creative person and they saw what I was doing on YouTube and they were like you need to start taking this more seriously because at the time I started to do Patreon and things and I was making about as much money off of that. I I was making like after taxes every month at my job. I was getting like relatively close to that. And they were like, well, when you get more invested in your hobby than your actual job, your hobby is your job or something to that effect. Like it was very encouraging and they were very like encouraging me that I it could be something more than just something I did on the weekends. It could be my actual career. And it was this person encouraging me and talking to me about the process they went through as a creative person, having that be their career over like a traditional office job where I felt like I could really start thinking about how I would make that work in my life. And I think from that point onward, I started to think about it more as like, this could actually be my job and a career and not just something I do when I have time for it. And it's been that way for 
gosh, probably four years at this point. I don't remember exactly when I started doing YouTube as my full-time job, but I think it was like four, four and a half years ago now, which is like wild to think about because it feels like it's been a blink of an eye. You are one of the faces of YouTube, whether Mm. it's in your little niche or whether it's somebody that people think, at least in the BDSM community, YouTube, Evie Lupine. Have you ever met any other YouTube celebrities and did they have any advice for you? I've not met other YouTube celebrities like outside of my own niche just because I don't live in LA and I'd love to meet other YouTubers at some point. Like I I watch a lot of YouTube. I, I like YouTube as a platform outside of it just being my job, but I have met other creative people that work on YouTube. And I feel like we've mostly just socialized rather than like giving each other advice about it. But I do feel like behind the scenes, we communicate just like in general through Twitter and through other social media, we'll talk to each other about, you know, what we're doing and navigating YouTube as a platform and censorship and and things like that, like kind of more general stuff as opposed to specific advice. But the key thing that I hear from a lot of people in my niche on YouTube and outside of it is don't, tie yourself down to something that doesn't feel good to you that doesn't inspire you because I think what oftentimes ends up happening it doesn't matter what kind of content you make you could be a gaming youtuber you could be politics and news it could be what I do it could be educational stuff and if you are not feeling if you're not feeling invested in it if you don't feel like you are are really doing something you're passionate about it's so easy to get burnt out and like resentful that you feel trapped in a genre because that really happens with a lot of people is they like well my audience expects me to talk about this and so I can't do anything different and now I'm stuck doing this one thing for forever and ah what am I going to do this is supposed to be my job and you're supposed to be like grateful about it you should be grateful about it having that really wonderful position of like what could be better work-life balance than having a career online and and getting to set your own hours and all of that but Uh, when you're not doing something you're passionate about it's so hard to like enjoy it and stay present with what it is that you're doing as opposed to just like going through the motions and feeling like everything's a grind and not being connected with why you started doing this in the first place and I feel really lucky because (laughs) I have a list on my phone of video ideas that I've been keeping for the last like three or four years straight and I never run out of run out of ideas I never run out of ideas. I never have trouble figuring out something to film. I always am inspired. And I think that's why I've been able to do this for so long is I'm able to keep being inspired. And I don't always like do the same things all the time. My content has definitely changed over the years. And I think that's been helpful for maintaining enjoyment of this as like a process and not just feeling like, oh, I have to do this because this is what people expect me to do. You have your planned out topical videos, and then you have a live stream on Fridays. Mm -hmm. How much fun is it having that direct connection on the live stream with the people that watch you? And as a follow-up to that, has there ever been a time when you've been surprised about a reaction that you got off a live stream that you went, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I love doing the live streams. I love 
getting to talk to people and like just not even hear little bits about their day, right? Like, oh, I'm going to my first lunch tomorrow or I went to my first dungeon party last week and it was so awesome. And hearing that direct feedback of like how my videos or something I've said encourage them and help them feel confident enough to go out and explore. And that's really my goal in all of my content is to, you know, help get rid of stigma, help get rid of misinformation, and then also help people feel empowered to do things that they want to do and not just feel like, oh, I'm not, I'm not ready yet. I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't do it because X, Y, Z reason. And just getting through all of that and feeling like they're ready to actually take that first big step into it. And I hear so often from people in live streams that like, you know, wow, I went there and I felt so welcomed and I had such a great time. I can't wait to go back. And I didn't need to be afraid. It was actually really fun. And I'm always really grateful to hear that. It was just like other random non-BDSM things going on in people's lives from like, you know, their new job they're starting or that they're going on a special summer trip or just stuff like that's really awesome. And getting to have that direct conversation feedback is so much fun. I love getting to do the scripted stuff because I get to do research and I get to be really prepared with what I say. And sometimes live streams, I get questions or I'm like, oh, I would love to answer that, but I can't because I need to look at some studies first before <laughs> I say anything too confidently. So I really like being able to do that. And also something that I have gotten a reaction about that I think has really touched me is I mean I feel like I kind of already said it when I whenever I hear somebody that comes to me and says like I've been watching your videos for however long and I finally went to my first party in my first munch and it was because of what you said that I felt confident to go and I had a really amazing time and sometimes people don't have an amazing time right like sometimes they go and like the guy who runs it is a complete asshole or they couldn't find people to fit in with. And that happens sometimes too, right? It's not always sunshine and rainbows. Like sometimes you got to try a couple different munches or different venues first before you find your people. But almost always you will end up finding your people at some point if you cast a, a wide enough net. I want to transition into some of the things that you talk about. Mm. And you talked about how you've been in the scene for about seven years. Mm -hmm. Seven years ago, most people would just think of BDSM as Fifty Shades. That was their mm -hmm. only reference. Throughout your seven years, there has been this evolution to the point where now Netflix has shows where BDSM isn't a big thing. Mm -hmm. Could you have ever imagined that transition happening basically while you've been on the air? I, I don't know if I would have predicted, especially the direction that Netflix has gone. I have a pet theory that there's some executive at Netflix or somebody on like the board <laughs> that's like super kinky and is like secretly advocating for like, yeah, let's do a home decor BDSM show. Like that's like, they're just silently trying to move the needle or doing like a K-drama based on BDSM. Like, all, like things that are like both in terms of genre and and execution are not what you would expect to see because you're used to it only being romance movies. I think what I would have predicted, especially because Fifty Shades was huge when I was first coming up in the BDSM community and everybody and their mom had an opinion about it and had probably read it more than once. And I would have assumed that it would have been mostly, oh, more like Fifty Shades inspired romance and drama movies. And it would have kept being that same thing because that was what sold I would not have expected bonding to come out or for there to be such a diverse variety of different 
ways to talk about BDSM in media, especially on, you know, things like Netflix and, and other series as well. And I don't think I would have fully predicted it, but I'm very glad that it happened because I think always having more media representations, even when they're not perfect, like when they're inaccurate, it's one thing, but when they're imperfect, that can still lead people to have conversations, to research more, and to go, well, I didn't think BDSM could be like that. Maybe this could be for me because of how pervasive the stereotypes are of like the cold, cruel dominatrix and the poor slovenly male slave. And then the <laughs> like, you know, and then sort of the, I don't know, the female equivalent of that for female submissives would be like, you know, the meek, timid, passive female submissive with the domineering male dom asshole type like it can be more than just that and bdsm is far more than just power exchange although that is a really big part of it for a lot of people and it's right in your bio that you like to separate the fantasy from bdsm's everyday reality Mm -hmm. and so many people have the porn view of bdsm or Mm -hmm. the instagram picture view and it some point it actually gets down to the pictures as mm-hmm. well because they place this perfect runway model vision of a dominatrix mm-hmm. that's not every dominatrix in the world mm-hmm. and they put this vision of a dominatrix who only degrades and looks down when the best doms that i know are the ones that love hard Mm -hmm. and have that beautiful connection are you seeing that the everyday is starting to creep up in as far as visibility is concerned or do we still have miles to go Uh, I feel like when you're starting from zero any amount of increase is going to seem like a lot because if it goes from zero to like one percent it's like wow it's like a a thousand percent increase in the amount of visibility like it's like it's infinite basically compared to zero Uh, I do think we are seeing more everyday representation and talk about BDSM through podcasts like this through my YouTube channel through other YouTubers and getting to talk about the reality of it or even like going back to like maybe more educational books as well because those have been around for longer than than YouTube has people actually reading those and and understanding beyond just like porn or other things what this can actually be and fantasies are great like fantasies are such a good way to understand what might motivate you what kind of relationship you might want to have if you have any fetishes those are all really good pieces of information to get from fantasy but it's when fantasy trumps reality and Mm -hmm. fantasy becomes what you want reality to be without acknowledging that reality cannot be perfectly like fantasy that it starts to become more of a problem but i i do think that we are noticing an increase in the amount of like real bdsm that people are talking about and having conversations about even in the in the real life community i think we're seeing more of that because i think for a long time there was this dynamic in communities of there being sort of this like community patriarch or matriarch that was like the most domly dom and they had this like ms household that was perfectly run and they organized all the events and they had you know the cigar parties on the weekends and they did this that and the other and i think in the last i'd probably say five years or so we're really seeing a deconstruction of that and we're seeing oh behind the curtain these people don't all have perfect yes relationships they don't all 
you beat each other black and blue every weekend like they're messy and they have problems and actually putting people on those fantasy pedestals is an issue both in terms of personal relationships but also in terms of the community as well just because if you are putting people on a pedestal it is very hard to recognize if they are doing things badly or that they're actually just human like they might even be they're doing anything bad but just that Mm -hmm. they they are capable of making mistakes and not doing things perfectly and now we're seeing you know more discussion groups for dominant men and we're seeing more discussion groups for submissive people in general and we're seeing more of a desire to be real and have real conversations about not just like doing bdsm perfectly but the reality of it and when things get messy and having space for that without it feeling like I feel like for a long time we were really worried about self-critique and because we were getting all this outside stigma from the media and from everyday people about you know BDSM people are sick and twisted and they're perverts and this that and the other we were so worried about in any way resembling the stereotypes of us you know being bad or toxic or imperfect people that it was very difficult to have honest conversations about like hey like my ds relationship i think my dom is doing stuff that's outside of my limits like how can i what do i do like it's so hard to have conversations like that and now we're starting to finally have them and i think that'll ultimately lead to a much healthier community and healthier relationships what are the most impactful topics you've covered the ones that oh. you said, wow, this made a difference and I didn't realize it would. Mm, I mean, I think there were things I hoped would make an impact. I think probably this is not strictly BDSM related, but it kind of is. Is like my coverage of the Marilyn Manson allegations. At the time when I first started covering it, it was actually right on the heels of Army Hammer's uh, allegations as well. And it just, I don't know, that January, there was a lot of like public figures and BDSM stuff coming out. And uh, I kind of covered it originally because there were people that were excusing his behavior and the allegations against him is like oh well he probably just had like it wasn't even that he did and he was using it as a defense people going oh well he probably just did bdsm it was probably just a ds thing and then these women are regretting it later and they're just making up excuses blah 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 and i really felt like well i don't know if that's true and then i saw more people making like wild conjecture (laughs) about like this mark being from this thing that absolutely was not from because the people saying that had never done bdsm before a day in their lives and i was like well all right as somebody who does BDSM and I am an educator and I care very deeply about people having healthy communicative relationships, uh, let's analyze this for a little bit and getting to talk about that and cover it. And I was very worried my audience would not like that at all and that they would tune out completely. But I think largely people have been very receptive to me covering the allegations and wanting it to be from this perspective of like trauma-informed, BDSM-informed realistic analysis of what's happening and I think as far as I'm aware I'm like the only YouTuber that covers the Marilyn Manson allegations that's like on the side of generally believing the accusers for the most part it's kind of become a a space that's very dominant people saying all these women are liars it was just BDSM gone wrong and yada yada and I feel like that is very important stuff that's more BDSM related that's been very impactful on an individual level for people I think I have one video from two years ago, maybe longer ago than that now. Uh, It's called like the top merry-go-round problem. And I don't know how that's performed like long-term, but I remember at the time hearing from a lot of people about that because the concept of the video is talking about how in especially local community spaces, tops, especially female women, like female women, (laughs) 
Uh, like, I, I knew what you meant. I female top women, but I feel like that didn't make sense. Uh, this is why I edit my YouTube videos. Um, no, so uh, I feel like there was this issue with tops in general, but especially female dominance in particular, where you would have people that would see your skills, right? That you're really good at bondage, you do whippings, and that people would kind of just treat you as a object and treat you as a carnival ride at a carnival and that they would just go me 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 next me next and they weren't really talking to the top or the dominant person as a top or a dom but as like a need fulfillment device mm -hmm. and that's not a good thing to be doing and i think that runs counter to a lot of the public narratives that people have that you know oh submissives you know they they can't abuse dominance or submissives can't push past people's limits or that the doms are the ones that have to be controlled because if they didn't have limits or boundaries from their partners they would just do whatever they wanted and i think it was really counter to a lot of people's conceptions that i don't know without even realizing it they kind of were thinking of dominance and tops as like these people that would kind of do whatever was put in front of them and like be happy with it when that's obviously not true and tops and dominance want to want their own things and they have their own things that they enjoy doing and it's not just like a conveyor belt of like I'm going to spank everyone that goes by on the conveyor belt and that's what's fulfilling for me that they also deserve and need more I think that was really impactful I have my first dynamic that mm. I'm still getting started mm -hmm. we have had fits and starts because of reality yeah. COVID flew in the house, not uh, not on my side, but unfortunately on her side. Mm. Um, breaking a bone. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that'll put a damper on it. Finding themselves in the hospital. And it's as the sub side, it's like, oh, yeah, this is reality. And I, I understand this. And I'm looking forward to starting when we can start. Mm-hmm. But one of the beautiful things we did when we first started was we went over my limits, likes, limits, and loves list, which one of these days I'm going to have to talk about it because it was a spreadsheet put together by a friend of mine, mm. seven pages of Excel spreadsheet wow. with a rating of whether you've done it or whether you're an expert at it. Do you like it? Do you, do you like it? Do you love it? Is it a limit? And she went through all seven pages with me, said, oh, I see you like this. Tell me what you like about it. I see you mm -hmm. love this. Tell me what you love about it. To the point where we can now have one word negotiations. Ooh. The word might be challenging. The word might be safe. The word might be impossible. The word might be surprising. And she takes that word and translates it into whatever way she wants to. Mm. And instead of saying, I want you to do this, this, and this, I've given her a vision. And I used to do the same thing when I was a television producer. I wouldn't tell camera guys, go get me this shot, this shot, this shot, this shot. I would say, allow me to experience this event through this person's eyes. And mm. you're the eyes. And yeah, of, there you of, go. All, 
I've also used uh, for pickup play. My negotiation is I want to be stuck in a moment I can't get out of. Mm. I'm not going to tell you what I want you to do from there. It's your scene to have fun with. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to be the vessel to do so. So I kind of went off on that tangent, but the fetish dispenser routine with doms and tops and people at play parties, they don't realize that they're missing this beautiful connection. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about, because you have been a collared submissive, you do love your BDSM, you say that you're a sneaky sadist, or how did you put it? <laughs> An occasional sadist. Yeah. It's when it sneaks up on you. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that connection. Talk to me about what that means to you in play. Mm. It's interesting because I think I do have two different modes for like playing with friends versus like playing with intimate partners and what that connection looks like. I think when I'm playing with friends and I'm at an event or even just like somebody I met recently that I'm friendly with but not friends with it's like I want to have a good time with you I want to have fun in the same way that you want to have fun if you decide to uh, go to a cat cafe together or go rock climbing or go on a hike like you want to go and enjoy the experience together you want to have fun and and have a collaborative time together rather than it necessarily being like super deep and super intimate but still fun because I think friendships are very much undervalued in general in society and we oftentimes overlook them because we're sort of expected to like form our core attachment around like this singular person and then everything else is maybe outside of like your parents or something is supposed to be periphery and I think valuing friendship and honoring that through things like BDSM if you're inclined to it is really really powerful and I think some of the most fun scenes I've had is where I could do it with a friend where I knew I could fully let go into the scene and enjoy it and knew that there wasn't like a power change relationship or something that was really heavy that was kind of hanging in the air air around that, Mm -hmm. which might sound kind of strange, but I think, and that might sound kind of strange, but I do think that when you have a power change relationship, it's both very beautiful and wonderful and, and, just a wonderful precious thing but also when you're doing a scene and you're doing it with that partner you have that power change relationship with sometimes there can be a lot of expectation there can be kind of this background fear of if I can't do this then I failed as a submissive or I'm not meeting my goals my dom set for me or I'm not performing like a submissive in general should and that can be a lot to hold on to, especially when you're playing in more edgier areas for yourself. Whereas when you're just with a friend and, you know, your friendship isn't affected by this and they're going to be friends with you no matter what happens and you can just be truly free. And I think that's really, really wonderful and is like a beautiful way to explore outside of what people would typically expect and not everyone's going to be that way not everyone's going to enjoy that and they only would want to do more intense bdsm through a romantic relationship or through some other kind of connection that was more than just a friendship but i think that that's really wonderful and then more with power change relationships i feel like there's i think if i had like a splash page of words i could do for this it would be i think the first thing that come to mind is like duty would probably be the first word and then um intimate and romantic because I'm somebody that is very 
romantically inclined and I am asexual but I do enjoy romantic relationships and I feel like that's a important thing to have in my life is a romantic connection and especially with BDSM I like feeling like this BDSM is a manifestation and expression of our romantic entanglement and that we're doing this because of how deep our care and intimacy is for each other and why I give myself up to you in a scene and allow you to do this to me is because I want to I want to feed your energy and be fed by your energy I want to be able to give to you and I want to be able to receive from you in this way that is very difficult to do in other contexts in a way that you don't normally get to do in everyday life and you get to see me at my most vulnerable and help tear me down but also build me back up at the same time and I have an older video that I did I don't know how many years ago now maybe four or five years ago that was talking about like why I'm submissive and like what motivates me as a submissive and I remember talking about in that video how one of my big motivations is I I and I know I'm sure other doms you talk to will have different opinions about this but I do not see humiliation and degradation as the same thing. I know a lot of people see degradation as like extreme humiliation and I I don't necessarily hold those same definitions or that same view. I very much am motivated by feeling degraded without feeling humiliated because for me being degraded means being put in like a lower position. But for me, that lower position feels correct. And like when you know you're in the right place where you need to be, you don't feel humiliated by that because it's almost the opposite of embarrassment. Because embarrassment is like the social friction of like, I shouldn't be doing this or this is like it like awkward in some way. Maybe I'm not really good at defining stuff like this because I don't I don't do humiliation. But I, I like it's not it's like the opposite of that tension. It's like knowing you you've like tetris yourself into the right position in life and feel like, ah, I get to be where I meant to be. And this is relaxing and rewarding and enjoyable and it it feels like it feels like and I am a puppy player so this is how I think about things it feels like uh when the dog is in like the exact perfect spot in front of the fireplace like it's like ah it's so warm and cozy and relaxing this is where I meant to be even though to other people from the outside being degraded would kind of seem like whoa that seems really extreme what are you doing this seems gross and bad and this is not feminist and yada yada uh and for me it feels like the opposite of that it sounds like your definition of degradation comes down to the elimination of expectations mm. and the injection of anticipations. Mm -hmm. Expectations are what you may have for what is going on. This mm -hmm. is what I want to happen. Mm -hmm. But what you're given is the gift of what you need. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's the need. most beautiful gift ever. Mm -hmm. It's like getting the Christmas gift you didn't know you wanted, but it's so perfect. And it was like, this wasn't on my list at all, but this is exactly what I wanted. Thank you. We have so much more to talk about, including two topics, one of which I know nothing about, one of which I want to know a lot more about. When we come back with Evie Lupine on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. 
Hi, Don. Hi, Dan. Recently, we put together a brand new book called Hearts and Collars, reflecting 20 years in a power exchange relationship. It's 350 pages of what we've been living for the past 20 years. Indeed, and it's got chapters like communication, power exchange and spirituality, how to be a leader, high protocol, becoming a follower, rituals, the new porch time, victim, survivor, and thriver, power exchange and polyamory, submissive versus wife, the practical contract guide, relationship shorthand, as well as other tools and experiences we've had over the years. Check it out at eroticawakening.com slash hearts and collars. Bye, Dan. Bye, Dawn. Have you ever dreamed of a house that is kink-friendly in every room? Have you ever wanted a getaway where your every desire is contained within steps? In Cincinnati, Ohio, the Wanton Sinners B&B is now open. Two kink-equipped bedrooms, a fully-equipped basement dungeon, and a living room with cages and restraint points throughout and you can leave your toy bag at home because every space comes with plenty of toys and restraints. Visit Wanton Sinners on FET and follow the links to the Airbnb and Verbo listings. The Wanton Sinners B&B in Cincinnati, where your dreams have a home. This is Alicia Zadig, author of the new book, Yes, Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia, a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book, Yes, Mistress, takes you on a provocative, eye-opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. Male submission is more common than you think and more rewarding than you can ever imagine. Yes, Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com. Hi there, I'm Nookie. My pronouns are she, hers, and I'm the founder of Dating Kinky, a different kind of dating and educational site for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla and it's free. Catch me in my own podcast, Dating Kinky. And now back to John and their guest on what women and other wonderful humans want. Thank you, Nookie, and welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm joined by YouTube educator extraordinaire Evie Lupine, and now you're going to get an opportunity to educate me a bit. Yay. I have heard the term asexual or ace, and I have been told I need to learn more about it because I don't know, number one, the difference between intimacy, romance, and sex, I realized that there is the sex, which is the actual physical manifestation of things. But you talked about the fact you love being romantic. You talk about intimacy, which BDSM is. Mm-hmm. What is the kind of top level thing I need to understand when it comes to understanding asexuality? I think that key top level idea to understanding it especially for somebody that 
sort of sees intimacy, romance, sex as all going together in some way is that it is possible and even likely that people separate between sexual, romantic, and other forms of attraction. And that romance can exist on its own and sex can exist on its own without one necessarily coinciding with the other. And that for asexual people, we do not experience. And there's a variety of definitions of different, it lists sort of like ace sub-labels that doesn't necessarily fully conform to this, but that ace people in general do not experience sexual attraction, but they are able to want other types of relationships and want and experience other types of attraction. When it comes to intimacy, what is a misconception about asexual folks? I think there's a general misconception that ace people are timid and frigid and like standoffish that like, oh, ace people are just like almost selfish, I suppose, in a way, like their physicality, like their ability to be intimate physically or emotionally with other people because it's like oh well they they're not into sex like that's what people summarize that oh these people don't care about sex and so therefore they are incapable of of being intimate or feeling care towards other people and Mm. that's obviously not true like you can you can I almost feel like there are so many examples in everyday life that involve intimacy and deep amounts of caring that don't involve sex. I'm like, how do we not just like, you know, our parents, right? Like our, for the most part, and everyone has good parents, but like the idea of a parent involves somebody that loves you unconditionally, that cares about you deeply and knows you very well, but that is not doing that for some kind of sexual involvement. And I think, or like therapists even, right? They, they might care about us very deeply in sort of a more detached professional way. And they know a lot about us, but they are not a therapist because they want to have sex with us, even if they might be able to help us untangle very complicated parts of who we are. And so intimacy and sex do not have to go together. And I think that's where people uh, stumble a lot. It's interesting that you mentioned the therapist analogy. Mm-hmm. Because heaven knows I've, quote, fallen in love with a couple of my therapists. Has Mm, nothing mm. to do with sex. Has everything to do with the fact that I'm having a connection with somebody who understands me. Mm -hmm. In my kink play, very rarely is sex involved in all. Mm Mm-hmm. My most beautiful scenes have zero touching of any private parts. They might have a kiss, but that to me is just intimacy and romance. That's Mm. kissing isn't sex to me. Mm -hmm. But the most beautiful scenes I have don't involve that. And Mm -hmm. I scratch my head because I... Haven't been in a relationship in a long time, admittedly, after a 20-year marriage where intimacy was gone in the last 10 years, still stayed stayed faithful, Mm -hmm. but there was no imagination, no kink there, so Mm -hmm. nothing to to build on. Mm -hmm. But the connection I feel with partners is so intimate and so very much this feeling of love and energy and Mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with the sex. And a lot of people are like, 
but don't you feel turned on? And mm -hmm. I go, my energy is through the roof. But am I having an erection? No. Mm -hmm. Do I want to go rip off because I wear a cat suit most of the time. So mm -hmm. it's pretty easy, but do I want to go rip off clothes? No. So I, the reason that I'm so curious about the, the term and the philosophy, if for lack of a better term of asexuality is I sometimes wonder if I fall into the category. Hmm. Yet, if I had a relationship, I don't know if that would change. Yeah, I think the other important idea to think about is that sexual attraction is not action. And I think a lot of people go, oh, well, if you're an ace person and you have sex, you can't really be asexual because you must feel something at some point towards the person you're having sex with. Or in the reverse way, you know, if you were somebody that's not currently having sex, you're like de-sexed and that sort of is analogized to being asexual when I don't think that's really accurate and I think it, it like it's hard for me to describe because I am ace but it's like the sensation of when you look at somebody and regardless of if it's like a BDSM thing or you're on a first tinder date or whatever and you're looking at somebody and you're thinking about how you would want to have sex with them but it stirs up those feelings even like on maybe not a fully conscious level where you're just like evaluating them in like a sexual way because I've I've talked to a lot of men that are attracted to women and they yeah I'm always thinking about whether or not I want to have sex with a woman and it's like I do not relate to that at all I'm like I'm thinking about ponies and what I'm gonna make for dinner like you know <laughs> not even not even on that on that level at all uh, but I think something I wish that people would learn more about in general is how you can do BDSM without it being a sex thing, regardless of what your orientation is, because every single day, every single week, maybe not every day, I see something online about somebody who's like, I'm a lesbian and I did a BDSM scene with a man. Does that mean I'm not a lesbian anymore? Oh, wow. I'm a gay man and I like to play with women sometimes because it's fun. Like, does that mean I'm not gay? And it's like, it doesn't have necessarily anything to do with the orientation. It can. For some people, they could not imagine doing BDSM with people they're not sexually attracted to. But for a lot of us, because we are able to experience and want to experience different types of connections we can find things about them that we enjoy outside of just the sex aspect of it. And not that sex is like base or bad in some way, but that it can be more than just that if that's what you want it to be. And that's something that you, you find appealing. Evie Lupine, thank you so very much for giving me more to work with now. Yeah, you're <laughs> welcome. Thanks for the questions. That's been, that's been a big thing that I have done my best I, I am 59 years old i'll be 60 in may mm. and uh, to a lot of people especially younger people i'm an old <laughs> i'm an old <laughs> man <laughs> but at the same time my journey has brought me to the point where i know there's gender fluidity in there mm. i know that there's some aspects of the fact that i am more of a romantic I'd, I dream of making out with people rather than having sex with them. Mm, yeah. Uh, I dream of what Olivia Okula 
the Hall of Fame dominatrix who has appeared on the program calls the ultimate intimacy, which is how she defines BDSM. Mm. It's when you can literally get down to the actual energy between two people mm -hmm. and the electricity that happens there. So thank you very much for that. Now, yeah. education point number two. Mm. You did a video on solo collaring. And for a person like myself who has not been in a dynamic until recently, there's a lot of times when I sit back, sadly, sometimes when I obsess about, am I ever going to get to play or am I ever going to get to feel as though somebody's looking out after me? Mm. When everybody goes, well, you need to take care of yourself first. And I understand that. But then when I heard about this self-collaring, I went, hmm, tell me more. Yeah. So tell me more, Evie Lupine. Yeah. Yeah. So just like lay down what it is in general. We'll go from there. Sounds great. All right. So self-collaring is essentially the act of putting a collar on yourself. That could be a literal physical collar. It could be something that you imbue with the same intention that somebody would wear a collar with and it could be a necklace or a bracelet or i don't know a temporary tattoo it could be whatever you want uh but collars of some description are, are usually the the most common and in bdsm we use collars to symbolize commitment typically commitment to another person in a relationship at a very high level and where I first heard about this idea from, I was very lucky. This was like one of the first experiences I had in real life in BDSM was somebody I knew that had collared themselves first. And something I've heard over and over again from people who do this is that the reason they do it is because they want to make a commitment to themselves first for self-improvement, for self-love, for self-esteem, because a lot of people can come into BDSM and they realize through this process of discovering this wide wonderful world that like oh I actually have this issue over here I haven't dealt with it because when you're doing BDSM because it can be so connective and so intimate you quickly realize sometimes where you might have little emotional pitfalls you've been able to maybe smooth over in everyday vanilla life that you can't really do in BDSM and so self-collaring can serve as this way of setting this intention of I'm going to put myself first I'm going to focus on my self-improvement my self-love my self-esteem whatever that goal happens to be and come up with concrete ways to do that right that could be through you know finishing a degree it could be through learning a particular skill you want to learn it could be through just making healthier habits every day right like i want to shower every day i want to brush my teeth twice a day i don't currently do that i want it my for me i'm not self-collared but like for me trying to drink this entire freaking water bottle every day and i don't succeed every day but i at least try and that's the important part is you at least try to do that it can also be a really helpful tool kind of in a sort of second motivation for self-collaring is people that were in a really long-term especially like higher level power change relationship where they had a lot of rules a lot of structure and sometimes those relationships don't end the way we wish they would and though you might have had a plan for like oh we're going to gradually step down the power exchange we're going to slowly kind of help you gently fall back down to everyday life after being in this very altered place maybe for a significant amount of time 
And sometimes self-collaring can be a good way of reestablishing that control and reestablishing that level of expectation, level of just scheduling maybe even that you had and you were used to for many, many years in a different relationship that you don't have anymore. And it's a way of being gentle and kind to yourself where you're saying, okay, I need to have this structure. I need to have this devotion maybe even in my life. And this is a way to get that while I'm trying to like kind of figure out what my next steps are for future relationships or future BDSM, but I'm going to focus on myself for right now while, while trying to find a way to bridge that gap. Getting back to Evie Lupine, the personality. Mm. Do you get out of the studio there and get to teach live classes or is it something you've ever wanted to do? And if so, where are some of the places you'd like to go? Oh, there's so many places I'd like to go. It's actually funny. So the year the pandemic happened, March of that year, I was supposed to travel, I think, to Dallas to teach my first in-person class at a conference. And that obviously did not end up happening. So I wanted to teach in person. That was kind of my goal for that year, for the years after that, was to transition more to teaching in person. But because of how the pandemic has shaped the BDSM community, I think in largely a positive way, actually, when it comes to accessibility and online events, online events have become very, very popular. And it's not good for teaching every skill, but I think for the kind of things that that I teach and what you talk about, that having an online format just means we get to reach more people. And it's not just like people who live in Philadelphia get to get this like little pocket of information. And I like that it is more open and honest. But if I did get to teach in person, I think just based on who I know watches my channel, uh, definitely would want to go to Montreal. I would definitely want to go to London. And I'd also want to go probably to somewhere in Ireland and somewhere in, in the Netherlands. Because like for how small of a country the Netherlands are, I have like, that's like my fourth, like in terms of viewership, like my my number four country for watchers is the Netherlands. And I'm like, how is that? <laughs> like Netherlands, they got, and then Germany's right there as well too. That's probably where I'd, I'd want to go to teach just because I find that, like, I love doing things that are more international. And that's what I like about being online as well. Somebody who's in Brazil or South Africa or India, where they might not have access to like a BDSM dungeon and the way that we think about it uh, can can still learn and still have tools for their own relationship to take home. I think that's, that's really nice. But I also like traveling. I like to get to see different places. And uh, I would definitely want to teach in person there. And also like more locally as well. Like honestly, almost anywhere I'd probably be happy to travel to to teach but those are sort of like my my dream locations if I had to pick I will let you in on something you may or may not know and mm. I'm wondering if it will surprise you but I don't think it will mm. of any guests that I have had on this show when I have said this person is going to be on the show when I said Evie Lupine, I had dominatrices going, Evie Lupine's going to be on your show. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. And I was like, wow. Wow. I mean, yeah, for dominatrices, I'm surprised because I'm mutuals with a couple of them on Twitter and stuff. But like, I'm like, it's one thing when like dominatrices are like excited to hear what you have to say and that you're going to be on an episode. That's great. Thank you all. I think what you have done is you have connected 
with a wonderful world that appreciates the information that you get them mm. are as passionate as you are about that information and they're receptive to it because in this world of BDSM, there's no limit to the education you can have because you're always learning something new. Because mm -hmm. if you think you know everything, then that's when you start not knowing enough. Yeah. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for having me on. And, and I'm so grateful that I get to do this as a job. It's very surreal. Would you like to do the standard plug at the end of the show? Because I'm always happy to give you that. Yeah. Yeah. So if people listen to this and didn't know, didn't know who I was beforehand. I'm Evie Lupine. You can find me on YouTube, E-V-I-E-L-U-P-I-N-E, -E, pretty much everywhere, Twitter, Twitch, Instagram. I would say I'm most active on Twitter and on YouTube. And I do live streams every Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific time. If you want to join me live and ask me questions. And I have a Patreon as well under that name. And that's that's pretty much where people can find me. EVS has been an absolute joy, pleasure, and honor. And I thank you so much for taking time with us today. And as I mentioned, for everything that you do for this wonderful world we have. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. And uh, I would be happy to come back anytime. I think we're going to make that happen. Awesome. What a lovely young lady. I really appreciate the passion and commitment Evie puts into her work from her topic focus class to her Friday night live stream. She is truly a gift to the kink and sexuality world. Here's what's coming up on the next edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. From the great white north comes a leather queen, demoness, daddy, and Domina, who brings amazing energy to her scenes and to her content. It's the remarkable Mistress Damazonia on what women and other wonderful humans want, presented by Dating Kinky. A new edition of the show premieres next Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to Evie Lupine for joining us on this program, and thank you to you, our lovely listeners. We do so appreciate you each and every week. I'm John, otherwise known as Hi There, Katsu. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time, and I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. Join us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1, on Instagram at WhatWomenWantPodcast, for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. And now, select shows are available in video format at youtube.com slash datingkinky. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky, built by kinksters for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free.